This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. How does a chemist become a vintner? We're about to find out. It may have taken my guest 30 years to make the huge decision to leave her corporate job and follow her passion, but she did it. In her words, she went from working the dream to living the dream as the owner of the Mill River Winery. Donna Martin, welcome to my podcast. Oh, thank you, Liz. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. You first worked as a college chemistry professor, then a corporate chemist, and now you are a winemaker. How does winemaking connect with having a PhD analytical chemistry degree? Winemaking is a combination of wine, science, and love. To make good wine, there really is uh, quite a bit of science that goes about with it. And so having a chemistry degree, I was able to facilitate and kind of segue into the winemaking area. That was actually very, very helpful. I bet it was. And I love that you added that love piece in there because I think that's with any cooking of any kind or any chemistry of any kind that you're making something. Yeah, love is a factor. Well, Mill River Winery is on the North Shore of Massachusetts in Rowley, and many would not even consider that to be wine country. You've written that it was initially the idea to start a winery that was created out of romantic notions, passion for wine, and throwing caution to the wind. (laughs) And you really knew not much about winemaking other than drinking it. Is that true? Other than visiting some local wineries in the area, I had no notion at all of how to make wine. Back in the early 80s, I went to visit Neshova Valley Winery in Bolton with my mom. And it was just a spectacular location. They had wonderful wines, and it was just such a nice agricultural setting. At that point, back 30-plus years ago, I got the bug of how romantic and how appealing would this be as a career to have an awesome lifestyle where I could grow what I make, I could enjoy the great outdoors, I could talk to people that came. And so that brought about the hopelessly driven romantic part of me, for sure. What did you do, though, to ensure that this was even a feasible idea? I think what I did to ensure that was having children. (laughs) How so? (laughs) You know, as you go through your life, you're making priorities in different ways. Before I had children, I had a, you know, pretty academic career. And then that went toward a corporate career as a a research chemist. I was traveling all around the world. And then when I had children, I originally thought that Mary Poppins was going to take care of my children for me. But when you have them, your priorities kind of change. And my career and, you know, the love of chemistry and the science that I had really took a, a step back. 
And I'm like, wow, I have these kids and life is so short. And I really wanted to participate in their early years of life. And so in order to do that, I had to look at my life balance Mm -hmm. and say, okay, how can I have my children and still have a rewarding career? And it took me a while to figure all that out. And I indeed took about three to four years off of work where I worked part-time doing other things. Mm -hmm. But in that time, I was able to navigate a way that I could pursue the second part of my life and a second career that included my passion that I had back in the early 80s. I love people being able to recreate next chapters for themselves, but I would have to imagine that leaving that corporate world and making that commitment to say, I'm going to go full time into this, even though you kind of took a little bit of time to get there. What gave you the courage to say, I'm going to do this and go for it 100%? It was my passion that came out. Mm. I was the little girl that, you know, loved science and I was quiet and I did well in school. And then I went into chemistry and I just really loved that. What this gave me starting the winery was just more of a holistic approach to science. I was able to not only pursue science, I was also able to challenge myself in in a business way and challenge myself in terms of getting out there and making relationships that are much outside the laboratory. I remember I was in the basement one day and I had a gentleman that used to paint my house and he would bring me bottles of wine that he would make himself. And he would say, hey, you know, I know that you're a scientist and I would love for you to taste these bottles of wine. And then he would go home and it would take me a while, but I'd open the wine and I'd taste it. And I'd be like, oh, you know, that's pretty good, you know. And then he would inevitably come back and paint another wall in my house. And he'd be like, hey, what did you think of the wine? And I'd be like, well, hey, you know, did you ever try thinking about changing the acidity? Or did you ever try maybe leaving your grapes in longer? And I was coming at it from the science point of view. And so what happened was he would go back with some of those notes. And the next time I saw him, he'd have another bottle of wine for me. And he said, here you go. I did some of the things that you said. And I tasted it. I'm like, you know, that's really nice. I really like it. And this went on for a while. And then he finally said, you know, this is kind of, you obviously really like wine. I think the fall is coming up. Why don't I show you how to make wine? I said, oh, wow. So this is while I'm at home trying to figure out what to do with the second part of my life. So this wine making on making five to 10 gallons of wine at a time. (laughs) uh, So he sat there and we went to Charlestown to get the, the grapes by Haymarket area. And we got some grapes that were being imported from California in the fall. And lo and behold, I made my first batch of wine and it was um it was two it was a, a chardonnay and it was a zinfandel i took out all my books and all my science books and it was really a research project extraordinaire making five gallons of each of these wines and it's really from that that i i got the bug but and that's how things came about and i said to myself gee this was just so much fun you know making wine and being in the harvest and i was looking back at Bolton and how beautiful that was. And I was like, you know, hey, I really want to try to do something here. And in the North Shore of Boston at that time, there really wasn't a lot of wineries at all. Right. And I was like, this is great. And there were a lot of breweries at the time, but because there's not a lot of space for vineyards and grapes are very hard to grow in, in this part of the country, obviously. But I was up for those challenges. 
I did a couple courses in North Carolina at Surrey Community College, and I came back with a confidence that, yes, indeed, I could really do this. And I always wanted to stay in this area because I love Massachusetts and born and raised here. And Massachusetts has a lot of farms and a lot of independent mm-hmm. farms that um, actually the state is celebrated for. Yes. And I wanted to be part of that as well. And I miraculously found an old cider mill on Route 1 in Rowley that not only had a farmhouse-style building that faced Route 1, but in the back had acres of old apple trees that could be, quote-unquote, easily turned into a vineyard. And so you did it. That was back in 2011. And you've described your winery as Local Wines, Global Vines. What does that mean? In order to grow the business and to appeal to a wide audience of people in the Northeast, if you look at the state of Massachusetts, we're like number five or number six in the per capita wine consumption of all the states. So we're known as a, <laughs> as a very big winemaking state. Massachusetts folks really like their wine and they like a wide variety of wine, not just sweet wine, but there's also a lot of dry wines from France and Italy, California, and a lot of other wine areas around the world. My business plan was to not only do kind of a research project in terms of growing grapes on my property, Mm -hmm. importing grapes from northern farms. I also, in parallel with that, wanted to make wines that people were more familiar with, Mm -hmm. wines from these areas like a Chardonnay, Zinfandel, Riesling, Cab, and, and many others. So when people come to Mill River Winery, they can appreciate wines that were grown, made, and produced in Massachusetts, kind of in a dirt to bottle sense. But then they also have notions of what can a woman winemaker in Massachusetts really do with California grapes? What can she really do with Italian grapes? Well, here, this is what she can do. Mm-hmm. And so it's a wonderful mix of celebrating local and also celebrating wine as using many, many different varieties. And I found that that model really works and people really enjoy tasting both. Well, enjoy enough that you've had some wines that have won awards as well. What's coming out of the barrel soon? We're very excited right now with a Syrah that I have coming out of the barrel. This would be the first Syrah I've ever made. Right now it's sitting in in the tank very soon to go in a barrel. And it's a beautiful, deep purple, wonderfully fruit forward. And it's one of those wines that is very food friendly. One that was just released is called a Chambison. And the Chambison was grown in South Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And it comes from a red grape, but we crush it into a a rosé. And that's a very popular uh, rosé that was just released. We have a Malbec that is coming from Washington State. It's the second time I've done a Malbec from Washington. The previous Malbecs have been done from grapes that we've imported from Argentina. Mm. But I'm finding that the state of Washington is a great area right now. And... The Malbec has high in alcohol, but we were able to suppress the burning flavor of that and really find ways to bring out the fruit. So a lot of people, I think, are really going to like our Malbec, and that will be coming out in the fall. Wonderful. Okay, what's your favorite? If you had to pick one wine, I know that's hard, but what's one favorite? (laughs) If I had to pick a favorite white, it would be my Anouk Chardonnay. 
Okay. Chardonnay can manifest itself different ways. You can have a Chardonnay that's oaked in the barrel. You can have a creamy Chardonnay. And then you can have a Chardonnay that is unoaked or what I call naked. It's a naked Chardonnay. And so what you're doing is you're exposing the grape to no oak, no anything. It's just 100% fermented in stainless steel. And I just love the fruits that come out with it. It has a really nice combination of stone fruit as well as some citrus and some minerality. That sounds good. I think I might like that one. All right. Describe for us the feeling that you get when you drive up to the winery each and every day. I drive into the the parking lot and I'm at my second home and I have my building and my yard in the back, which is obviously the vineyard. I also have a small orchard back there and a patio where people sit. I have my home, which in this case is the dining area or the tasting room. And then also the kitchen, which is the manufacturing room where I make wine. When you look at your house, you look around and like, okay, so this year, this is going to be this project. We're going to make a patio this year. (laughs) At the winery, as I'm growing up, I'm looking at, okay, what's going to be the next thing I do? The sign is a beautiful cattail that's embedded in the words Mill River Winery. And that sign to me has a lot of meaning because it shows the marsh area and the marsh area brings to light my love of birds. So I really look at that sign and it celebrates the area that I live in. Sounds lovely. I can't wait to visit sometime soon. (laughs) Winemaking is not an easy profession. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way in running a business, let alone a winery? Know when you need to get some help in terms of making the wine, to be able to partner in a collective sense with other winemakers, have a collaborative effort of what is working, what's going on this year from a climate point of view. And the other thing is really the art of um, letting go in order to really make a winery and a business this large succeed and grow. You really have to let go in terms of you can't do everything yourself. And you need to be able to build a strong human resource infrastructure that has a similar passion as you do. And once you can develop people that you can really trust and then you start delegating and you lose a bit of control. But what you gain is just so much more. I love that you're a a woman owned business, first of all, let alone a winery. And you have a full team of women around you, which I think speaks to that collaboration that you were just talking about. Share with us some of the activities besides wine tastings that visitors can take advantage of at Mill River Winery. We have Jen Ames, who is our resident sommelier, and she often has tours. And the tours and tastings take you throughout the vineyard and in the manufacturing room. And these are great because they're often paired with cheese and chocolate and foods. (laughs) And you can go into the vineyard and have a couple tastings along with a little samples. Then you go into the manufacturing room and you learn a little bit about winemaking. One of the things that we like to do is to incorporate wherever possible the educational aspect of what's going on and how to make wine and also how to pair wines and how you can make entertaining with wine and and food as stress-free as possible, as well as celebrate the localness of of the wine that you're tasting. I know you have a bunch of events too, so people can go have private events, you have scheduled events, and tell us about your wine club. Our wine club is right now a group of almost 850 members, and that's our base community. They can come anytime. Once you join the club, you can come in and have a complimentary flight. On Fridays, 
the wine club members can come in anytime and have a free glass of wine. Friday night says you can imagine a pretty busy sometimes at so. the winery for that. <laughs> they buy three bottles of wine four times a year. Each wine, of course, tells a story. And when they come and pick up their shipment, if they come during the certain shipment weekend, we have a wine club party for them. The wine club members get to know each other and they start forming a community. One of the best events that we have is in the fall, and it's called a blending bash. I wanted to ask you about that, yes. (laughs) We kind of pull all stops out with a blending bash. We take the tractor and we tractor up four barrels of wine, and they're all red wines. People will taste each of the wines separately and then blend their own red wine that they want to take home. So you end up leaving with a bottle of wine. There's a competition involved as well. If the wine blend that you have matches the one that's closest to what our staff makes, then you win a case of wine and you also have a name on a trophy. So there's a lot of competition and people will come dressed up for that. And it's really a lot of fun. And we've been doing that for many years. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. Donna, it may have taken 30 years for you to follow your joy and your passion. How does being a winemaker help you live your best life? I have an unlimited amount of wine that I can drink. So if there was ever anything that happened with a wine shortage, I've taken care of myself and the people that have been good to me. So I have, I have this um, boatload of wine that I can always depend on. Speaking about my love for education... I have people in the the manufacturing room and I'm teaching them how to make wine. And that's a lot of fun. And I'm teaching them the science behind making wine. I really love to do that. We always have product development meetings all together. We uh, all learn from each other, tasting the wine, how we can improve it before we bottle it. I kind of drive those meetings, make it as an educational aspect for everything. I also do that with the business part. We have staff meetings and I really open up to my senior staff in terms of, hey, this is what this is how much money we made this week. Mm -hmm. These are the events that seem to be working. And then I invite them to say, "Okay, what do you think we can do to grow the business? And again, it's, you know, an educational in terms of visuality of the labels, growing the business, how to get your word out there. Things are always changing with social media and evolving. For us, we appeal to a wide age group. So we have to think about marketing to different age groups. So there's so many challenges at the winery at every turn. And we're all learning together what works because we really don't have a model because there's not a lot of wineries in the Northeast that do this. So we're kind of paving the way. Well, who needs Napa when we have you on the North Shore? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, if you're ever on the North Shore of Boston, make plans to stop at Mill River Winery. You can learn more about Donna and her wines at millriverwines.com. And we will have that website link in our show notes for you. Donna, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and showing us that we can follow our passion and can follow our joy and also bringing so much wine to Massachusetts. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. (laughs) And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. May all of you listening around the world find your passion and live your best life. And if that includes a glass of wine, salute. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.